Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know we harp on it a lot. You need a good pair of binos. Yeah, I never hunted with binos until I was almost into my 20s. I never did it when I was a teenager or anything like that. Or when I was a kid, we never had binos. And when I bought my first pair of Vortex binos, the first binos I ever purchased back in like 2015, it immediately made a huge difference for me, especially in the turkey woods. So give yourself the advantage of a good pair of binos this spring, whether you're looking for more of like an entry-level bino like the Vortex Diamondbacks or something really, really nice like the Razors. Vortex is going to have something for you. And hey, don't pay full price for it. Use our discount code at eurooptic.com. Use the code SGN10 to get a discount on any Vortex optics that you want to order. Again, that's eurooptic.com, code SGN10 to go get a discount on any Vortex product you order. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. 
If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Now let's get to the episode. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Strut Report. This is your host, Jacob Myers, and we're excited about this episode, especially with Alabama Georgia season coming in on Saturday. Uh, I know we got a lot of listeners in those areas that are going to be out in the woods, and definitely this episode is going to be very much keen towards you. Uh, we cover Alabama, Georgia, and Mississippi in this week's episode. So again, I think you're going to get a lot out of it, especially if you're hunting those areas. And best of luck to everybody getting out there uh, this um, opening weekend. I know a lot of our listeners in Mississippi had a lot of success uh, as well, which is awesome. We actually got our very first listener success story for turkey season that just came in. Now, if you all follow along with us during deer season, you saw how we uh, did our weekly uh, listener success deer episodes where, you know, a listener have success using, uh, tips and tactics from the podcast from different guests, uh, go have success, uh, and get a nice deer. And we, uh, put an episode out for them on that. And we're going to try to probably do the same thing for turkey hunting as well. So if you're out there, you're using tips and tactics that you learn from the podcast, uh, from different guests, uh, shoot us a message. Again, if you kill a bird, uh, kill a gobbler, shoot us a message, let us know. And uh, again, I'd like to post you up as one of our listener success stories for the spring. So super excited to bring you guys that as well. But I'll stop talking and we'll just get right into this episode. All right, guys, and I've got uh, Dr. Chris Jenkins coming on, uh, representing both Mississippi and also a little bit of Georgia. Uh, Chris, how you doing, my man? I'm doing good. I'm sitting here with a cocktail at my cabin in South Georgia, getting ready to go listen for turkeys in the morning. So life is good, man. Man, you're just a turkey killer. We're about to get into that as well. Um, you, you are, first of all, you're a really interesting guy. We've had you on before um, for uh, deer episodes, and I've, I've had you on as a shirt report in the past. But one thing I'm really interested in talking to you about is, uh, you know, with this strut report, is you just had some uh, great success on some public land in Mississippi, which we're going to dive into a little bit later on this strut report. Uh, but to kind of kick us off, uh, what was the gobbling activity been like for you when you were hunting in Mississippi for opening week? And also in relation with uh, where you live in North Georgia, what were you experiencing over the last week and a half, uh, along with what you've been hearing around in South Georgia with your cabin and your camp there? Yeah, so in Mississippi, uh, it was kind of interesting. I actually didn't see. I only hunted uh, two days because of the because of the storms, and uh, I, I never saw a hen. But I ended. I saw five, uh, you know, gobblers, and uh, and you know they they weren't gobbling that well at all. Um, of course, it is Mississippi, and and to me, you know, those birds are as pressured on on public land as anywhere, and uh, it just ha- has kind of always been like gobbling. Uh, but I did have one of them, and it was one of the two birds I killed. Was gobbling pretty good, but it was really interesting because he he wasn't gobbling except in between these storms, and when kind of the uh, storm would break and we get you know a fair amount of sun hitting the ground. Uh, you know, he just started lighting it up and, um, I had him the first day after I'd already killed the bird, I had him come in at 40 yards. And then, uh, you know, the second day, uh, there was another break and sun came out and ended up killing him when he started gobbling again there. So, uh, so, uh, the goblin was not good. Most of the birds I saw weren't gobbling. Um, however, again, it was Mississippi public land. Uh, you know, I just don't hear a lot and the weather was really uh, you know, really rough. So, uh, those could have been some of the factors there. And then pr- from what you've been experiencing in Georgia, uh, when, you know, what kind of relation with before you left for Mississippi, what were you kind of hearing, especially in North Georgia? 
Yeah, well, so I live, uh, as you know, up in the mountains, right kind of where North Carolina, South Carolina, and, and Georgia comes together, pretty high elevation. I live, my house is uh, about 2,500 feet, and uh, and I have not heard any gobbling yet. I have been out listening, um, and uh, I've seen gobblers, but I still have not heard a gobble in the mountains. But that is not, uh, that's pretty typical, uh, you know, depending on the weather, but as I'd say typically... A lot of the birds are not gobbling in the mountains, especially the higher mountains uh, at the beginning of the Georgia season. So, okay, very. And then here in South, in South Georgia, so uh, my hunting property here that I'm on is is kind of in South Central Georgia, down on the coastal plain, and and uh, I just arrived here, so I have not done any listening. I've done some boots on the ground a couple weeks ago, but uh, uh, some people I've been talking to down here uh, have said that the gobblers, you know, they have been uh, fairly active and they've been hearing them. So I'm expecting in the morning, uh, you know, to really be able to pinpoint where some birds are. Perfect. And kind of getting into the next question, I want to talk about winter flocks. When you were in Mississippi, uh, were you still finding a lot of birds kind of flocked together or were you starting to see more lone gobblers? Well, like I said, I saw five gobblers and, uh, three of them were together. I never saw a hen. So you didn't have these big giant kind of winter flocks with, with a lot of birds, but, um, but I saw three gobblers together at one point, but both gobblers, uh, that I killed, I had pretty good sight distance all around and we can get into to why in a bit, but, um, and, and both of them were all by themselves. So, uh, you know, again, it was strange weather year when I was down there with all those, the rain and the tornadoes coming. So I, it, it was definitely different. I think it was influenced by that. But the, but from the little bit I got to see, uh, it definitely seemed like they were pretty well broken up. Now, also based off the time of the year we're in right now, which is right now it's the, uh, the 18th of March, uh, kind of where it should be in North Georgia. Are you still expecting uh, some of these birds to still be in winter flocks or are you starting to expect them to be more kind of separated? And also same thing for South Georgia where you're at now. Yeah, well, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I think right, uh, you know, so, yeah, they've been, uh, you know, in pretty large flocks. I have a few that I keep an eye on, just kind of keep my finger on the pulse. And uh, they've been flocked up now for the last couple of weeks. And actually, I went yesterday uh, to check on one of them because I knew I was going to be heading south for, for hunting. And, um, you know, I, I could still, I found both groups of, of birds, but the, uh, the gobblers had broken out from the, uh, from the hens, uh, in that flock. And, uh, the gobblers were together, but they were, uh, probably about 300 yards from, uh, where I found the, the group of hens. So. All right. And kind of going towards, uh, you know, what have you heard for South Georgia as well? I know some of the, the people that you've got down there, I mean, is it still kind of on par with what you've been seeing elsewhere or do you think that they're a little bit more kind of along in the stages, kind of like the pecking order and everything else and birds kind of separating? Well, I've heard about multiple lone gobblers. Um, so, and based on the time of year and, and where we are in the state, I expect them to be for the most part, kind of broken up. But again, you know, tomorrow morning, uh, you know, day before the opener, will will really be kind of the, the telltale uh, signs for me. Um, so I can't say for sure, but I have I have reports on multiple birds on the property here, multiple gobblers that have been seen by themselves. So 
All right, perfect. Getting to the next question, uh, very curious, both in Mississippi, but also what you've been experiencing in Georgia as well. What kind of habitat were a lot of those gobblers sticking to in Mississippi while you were over there? What kind of habitat type? Uh, and then also, uh, is there, of course, I know with you hunting the mountains uh, where you live up there along with your uh, your property down in South Georgia, I'm sure that's a complete 180 in habitat type and elevation and everything else. But, uh, you know, is there any kind of correlation with what you're finding these birds kind of in this time of the year uh, for the different regions? that you've been hunting well again mississippi this was just a such a strange year because i mean i was literally hunting the birds with like tornadoes on the horizon and uh so i wasn't uh, i was very specifically hunting open areas preparing to hunt the birds in kind of like a rain type setting where they were going to go to somewhere uh really open so um uh, you know habitat wise it, it was you know completely in mississippi was completely based on that weather pattern um and ended up killing both of the birds in very open areas and i can tell you about those a little bit more one was a clear cut and one was kind of an older meadow um and then in uh in North Georgia, you know, it, it varies quite a bit. The birds uh, move quite a bit. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to, to pinpoint as we get a little bit further into the season. The birds certainly, um, you know, like to call from kind of ridge points and uh, close to water, but, but uh, you know, can often be up on a kind of a ridge point well, uh, well above the water as well. So uh, there's a lot more variation, I'd say, there that I see than – say down in South Georgia where I am now, I don't have any of the birds pinpointed, but I'd say the typical pattern here, again, we're in the coastal plain, longleaf pine ecosystem, uh, and the property we own here is a series of, of sand ridges and then a big uh, bottomland swamp, and then we own about 10 miles of a, of a kind of blackwater creek, uh, you know, cypress and gum trees. And, and uh, typically, you know, the, the birds will be roosted somewhere near that creek or somewhere down in the swamp. And then oftentimes they, they end up kind of working their way up onto these uh, sand ridges where it's kind of like open grassland savannas with, with longleaf pine trees. So um, that's kind of how I'll be going out to listen tomorrow. I'll be listening, uh, you know, in some of these places where the birds can be roosted up in, in trees kind of close to or over the water, um, which again, much different than the mountains. You know, I might see a bird roosted over a creek, but, um, but you know, I also find birds roosted really far from the, from the water up there as well. So. Getting in, I want to kind of get over to, um, you know, what helped you be successful? What kind of tip, uh, tactics did you use in Mississippi uh, to be able to knock down two birds in the first opening week on public land out there? Well, I'd say the fir first thing I did is I went early, uh, and I spent a day and a half scouting because I went, was going to a new national forest that I haven't typically hunted. I also connected with a, a colleague of mine who who also does a lot of work with backcountry hunters and anglers he's actually the chairman for you know uh in mississippi there and uh he he pointed me to some locations but basically those first couple days i covered a ton of ground in my truck uh you know watching from the truck and i covered uh, a lot of ground on foot uh just looking at, at different places but with the pending weather again that just completely dominated uh my strategy and so my strategy was 
um, to go to areas that were relatively open, uh, thinking with this heavy storm, if the birds were on the ground, uh, you know, losing some of their senses with the weather, they were going to go to more open areas where they feel more secure. And so, uh, and the other thing is I, I used a decoy to kill the first bird. And I think we talked about it when we did that turkey podcast last year, but I n- almost never use decoys. I might hunt, if I hunt 50 or 60 days in a year, I might use a decoy one or two of those days. But anyway, so on that first First day, I ended up uh, listening, uh, and and I knew there were at least four gobblers in earshot of where I was sitting in this clear cut. Didn't hear a single gobble, uh, so I went to a high point and I set out a, a hen decoy uh, in a very prominent area, an area that birds could see for hundreds and hundreds of yards uh, in a lot of different directions around this kind of like rolling hill clear cut, and uh, and I just started uh, you know blind calling and. And uh, did a whole sequence with, you know, tree yelps and fly downs and then started calling about every 15 minutes. And, and within about 30 minutes, I had a had this lone gobbler crest the far ridge and uh, and he actually flew to my decoy, which is kind of interesting. You don't see that too often. So uh, and then he landed and uh, flew right into a heavy load of TSS. So. <laughs> Awesome. Okay. And then kind of go, what, what was kind of the, the layout for that second bird and kind of what played out? So you use, again, kind of recap, you kind of use, uh, you know, kind of the open areas and a decoy and everything to kind of, you know, use that to your advantage, thinking that based off the weather and everything else, they're going to kind of be in a more open area. What was the layout for that second bird? So the second bird was also, uh, I, I was going to an open area, but it was an older, I think there was some I think it was created by, you know, logging in the past, but it kind of was this natural open area. There was something maintaining it as open kind of within a larger cut. And, and, but the key there was that there was a lot of, a a lot of hunting pressure as, as you might expect on national forests in Mississippi. So I found this clearing, you know, using my Onyx, uh, you know, I found this clearing that was relatively remote it was pretty far from any road um and and i wanted to go check that out so i ended up uh ended up hiking out to that the afternoon that i killed that bird you can only kill one bird a day in mississippi and uh so i was out there sitting and then uh the sun came out that afternoon storms went away and and you know i just did one little cluck and all of a sudden uh you know he sounded off and and before you know it i ended up having uh i ended up having that gobbler gobbler come within 30 40 yards of me and i uh, couldn't shoot him i didn't even have a gun and so anyways the next morning i came out he wasn't gobbling it was cloud cover light rain and then again the the sky opened up and uh, and he started gobbling off the roost, and he did the same thing. He gobbled, came in strong. They were both, you know, two-year-old birds. Um, but I always say I love a two-year-old, so. <laughs> awesome. Fantastic. Uh, and then one of the par- last questions I want to ask you is, uh, what is your game plan for opening day and opening weekend down there in Georgia? Yeah, so I, how I typically structure my turkey season is I um, I try to extend it. We talked about it in the last podcast. I'm just trying to hunt as many days as possible. So, you know, I typically do some early hunting in a place like Florida or Mississippi that opens early. Used to be Alabama until you guys, um, you know, roll back your season. And then, uh, and then I hunt Georgia. And then at the end of the season, I typically start going some places north. But anyway, so for the opener here in Georgia – I also split the state of Georgia up because it's so diverse. Largest state east of the Mississippi. We've got everything from coastal marshes to big mountains. And so I've got this 
2,500 acre uh, property down here in the coastal plain. And, uh, you know, I mean, I've got the whole property myself It's world-class turkey hunting, you know, birds all over it. So I'll come down here and I'll typically hunt for the first couple of weeks before going back to the mountains. Uh, so, and I'm actually guiding uh, the next two days. I've got uh, two hunters coming out from uh, coastal Georgia and of one of which is, uh, is still looking to kill his first bird after like hunting uh, 10 years. Uh, so my real goal the next two days um, is to, uh, you know, I won't even uh, be carrying a gun. I'll just be calling and, and uh, you know, working with these guys. But, uh, or not the next two days, but for the for Saturday and Sunday when the opener comes in. And my real goal is to get this uh, this guy his first bird. And then, uh, and then I'll be hunting uh, kind of Monday and Tuesday down here uh, before I head back to the mountains for a few days. So, so yeah, we'll be hunting it hard. But, again, I'm going to be guiding uh, here. And that's a... Um, you know, in Georgia, you can only legally guide on uh, private land uh, unless you have a particular license. So this is a, but this is a guided hunt that I, uh, you know, donated to a charity uh, and uh, charity auctioned it off and um, made some good money for conservation. And, and I get to help a hunter try to get his first bird. So I'm pretty excited about it. Awesome, awesome, awesome. All right, well, Chris, man, I appreciate you coming on for this week's episode of the Short Report and sharing some experience, and best of luck for you and your hunters uh, come this weekend. Thank you very much. Always good talking to you, Jacob. All right, guys, and I've got Mr. Paul Thorne on the phone coming in from South Georgia. Paul, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing excellent. Listen, I'm excited for this opening weekend. I know you are, too. Um, and got, it's got me kind of – Really excited to talk to you. It's been a little while, and uh, I'm just really excited to kind of see what you've got going on uh, for this coming week. But before we get into that, uh, what's the gobbling activity been like for you over this last week or so down there in the part of Georgia you're in? Okay, well, like like we talked about earlier, there was a front came through here this morning that y'all got yesterday, I guess. And uh, right before that, we had we had activity, but it was like in the trees and, you know, not a whole lot of it. And then once they got on the ground, they, they stopped. That was, you know, that was this past week, like Sunday morning. Uh, a week prior to that, though, they gobbled like it was middle of springtime. They was in big groups. There was plenty of them. They gobbled loud. They gobbled at everything. It didn't matter if it was the sound of car door shutting or anything. They just gobbled. They was enjoying it. All right. Well, uh, you know, right now for the time of the year it is, you know, right now it's the 18th of March. Season comes in on the 20th. What are you experiencing when it comes to these winter flocks? Are these birds still flocked up in the areas that you're hunting in, or are you starting to see more and more, especially gobblers, kind of separate and kind of doing their own thing? Okay. In my area, I've seen them most of the time right around Valentine's Day. They'll split up. They'll, they'll, they'll all be together up until that point, and then they'll – Split up, and you'll hear them, you know, off in the distance gobbling here, and then you know, gobbling that direction all over. But they usually do that in February. This year, they're still gathered up together, and I don't know if they're going to separate this late. I've I've never seen them stuck this close together for this long. Well, that's see, that's interesting. I'm glad to kind of get that report. And what kind of habitat are you hunting in down there in the part of Georgia that you're in? Uh, and also, is there any specific habitat type that these gobblers like to stick to early on in the season? Okay, where I've where I'm hunting, there's several different tracts of land. Everything here in the south has either got a, a a dirt road or a paved road border or a fence or a river or something. 
you can't go very far before you're and there you know there's small tracts of land too you can't really go very far before you're off the property and onto somebody else's so you got to make it work within these boundaries you know and and where i hunt on this one place in the northern part of the county i live in there's it's farmland, but it's also got some wooded areas, and a lot of it's flooded right now. Some of it's flooded with creek water that's running, and some of it's flooded with just low areas that fill up and and make good duck shooting when the ducks are in it. But uh, they like to roost over those areas. They they seem to stick around them, you know, whether they got water in them or not. So that's the kind of that's you know one one piece of land. The piece of land I'm gonna start out at on Saturday. Is uh is down on a river that's I don't know it's probably 150 yards wide, in a different county, and it's a new piece of land for me, and I don't know how long I'm gonna have it, so I'm kind of excited about trying to get one off of that place. Okay, perfect. And kind of gets to one of our last questions. You know, what is your game plan for opening week and opening weekend, and kind of walk us through your progression, especially for this weekend. Uh, game plan far as going out Saturday morning when the season opens. Yes, sir. I'm gonna, <laughs> I, I'm gonna go out. I'm gonna go out like I normally do, even though it's a place I've never hunted. I'm gonna go out and just listen for them. I'm not gonna throw anything at them to make them gobble, unless I've been there an hour or so and I ain't heard nothing. I'm gonna let it, you know, let the woods wake up on its own. Sooner or later, if they're there, they'll gobble. And when they do, then of course I'm gonna, you know play it like I always do and conservative and try to get them to come to me. And if they don't, and they probably won't because where they're, where they're tending to be roosting, uh, where I've heard them anyway, it's a very comfortable piece of land for them. They're protected there. They got food there. Uh, I don't know why they even bother to come over this little piece that I can hunt on now, but I'm hoping to talk him into it, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, of course. Perfect. Well, Paul, thank you again for coming on for this week's Strut Report. Best of luck to you and all of our other Georgia uh, hunters and listeners uh, for this opening weekend. And uh, stay safe, and hopefully we get a nice uh, kind of grip and grin photo with you and a, a big Tom uh, sometime this weekend. All right, well, good luck to everybody else, too, and, and uh, appreciate the interview. Every outdoorsman understands the importance of a great knife and we all appreciate U.S. craftsmanship. Bladeswork Unlimited has created a community of bladesmiths to provide you a custom knife that will last generations. Whether you're looking for the perfect knife to use in the field or a new addition to your kitchen cutlery, Bladeswork Unlimited has you covered. Check out their online inventory of custom knives or work directly with one of their 25 plus custom bladesmiths to build your dream knife with the Build a Blade program. Start by choosing your blade style, steel type, and handle material, along with everything in between, all the way down to the sheath. Speak directly with the bladesmith building your knife to fine-tune your exact wishes. Jacob and I both own custom knives and have experienced the benefits of custom work with attention to detail, and Bladeswork Unlimited provides that to their customers. Use the code SOUTHERNOUTDOORS, all one word, at checkout to receive a discount on your custom order. Visit bladeswork.com or go to the link in the description and get a knife tougher than you. If you live in the South, you get to rifle hunt more than pretty much the rest of the country. With all that rifle hunting can come a lot of damage. 
to your hearing. We all know we need to be protecting our hearing when we're gun hunting, but the use of traditional hearing equipment is not ideal. That rut crazed buck might only give you a split second to get a shot off through the pines, which is never enough time to get your hearing protection on. We all know a suppressor is ideal for that situation, but buying one has always been a long, difficult process until Silencer Central. Silencer Central is the creator of a revolutionary process which silences headaches and hassles. The process is simple and makes sense. It's a process that begins with paperwork without the work and ends with Silencer Central delivering your silencer right to your door. That's right, right to your door. They take care of the government paperwork for you and then send you your silencer when it's ready. Sound too good to be true? Well, learn more about Silencer Central's easy buying process at silencercentral.com or give them a call at 888-988-8179. All right, guys, and next on the line, we've got Lane Williams coming in from Alabama. Lane, how are you doing, brother? I'm doing good. How about yourself? I'm doing well, man. I hope you're doing good, man. We're uh, two days out from deer – or oh, deer season. Shh, we talked about deer earlier. Turkey season, my man, two days out. And uh, yep. by the time this episode drops, man, we are looking at counting hours to turkey season. So uh, well, I think we're all excited. <laughs> Oh, no doubt about it. We're in DEFCON 5. This is the last, this is the last few minutes to come before the storm, and it's fitting to get going. Exactly. Well, dude, to kind of kick us off, uh, what has the gobbling activity been like for you uh, in your region of Alabama? And actually, before you answer that, what region of Alabama are you kind of hunting in so people have a good idea? Because I've got um, you know different guys coming on from different parts. So what region of the state are you kind of coming in from? Uh, and then kind of answer the gobbling activity question. I'm in lower Alabama, east lower Alabama to east central Alabama. I live in Union Springs, but I hunt between Troy and, and Union Springs and anywhere else I can get to. The gobbling activity has been, you know, it's been picking up here these last couple of weeks, you know, end of last week, you know, there was, you know, it, it was really from everyone I talked to, it's really started to pick back up. You know, you're getting more, conce- you know, you're getting your gobblers that are actually trying to pull hens and, you know, we're really starting to hear them get cranked up and we're starting to hear gobblers that we haven't even heard yet before. You know, gobblers, you know, half a mile, quarter mile down the ridge that we can still hear because we haven't gotten the green up yet. But, you know, we're starting to hear these other gobblers chime in with each other. We're starting to get good gobbling on the on the limb, a little bit of gobbling on the ground, you know, consistency, you know, day after day, you know, at least on private lands, you know, a little bit of public land I've scouted. You know, there's been, you know, steady, but nothing too, you know, concrete. Well, perfect. Well, kind of get into the next question. In the area that you're hunting in and kind of what you've been scouting in, are we still kind of in these winter flocks, or are you starting to see more and more birds kind of break up, separate, and uh, start kind of busting up? They're definitely doing the thing. You know, you're starting to see, you know, especially la- uh, I think it was end of last week, maybe beginning of this week, somebody had called me and was, we were talking, and they were, t- they were talking about seeing gobblers, you know, meeting on, you know, meeting from opposite ends of the fields and, you know, meeting in the middle for the Battle Royale and, groups of turkeys that used to be five strong are now you know groups of two and three and you know you've got your so you know solo gobblers hanging out on their own and you know they're really they're, they're starting to bust out and do the spring thing now the, also the habitat that you're in explain to the listeners what kind of habitat is it like in the area of alabama that you hunt in and is there any specific habitat type that these turkeys like to stick to at this time of the season mostly you know it's transition areas you know i hunt a lot of cow pastures down in the brundage troy area and uh you know most of most of my turkey interactions come on either ag fields or some sort of you know natural grass type or some hardwood edge over water you know they're roosting over usually you know they're roosting over a creek a beaver pond a river something of that nature maybe a pond branch 
but a little creek branch off of a pond. But you know, they're they're all pretty much landing into either a ridge in some hardwoods, or if if it's available, they're landing out in that open and strutting on these in these open strut zones. You know, like I said, they're really starting. You know, they're starting to develop the the normal spring patterns. Perfect. And it kind of gets to our last question. What is your game plan for opening week uh, and opening weekend, and how are you going to approach that? I'm just going to try to, you know, try to take it easy, enjoy it. You know, I'm not going to try to be too aggressive. You know, like I said, I hunt I hunt a lot, so I'm not really interested in making, you know, a straight move for the king immediately. But, you know, if we can get if we can get on it, we're going to take any opportunity we can. We just don't want to, you know, a lot of a lot of our best places seem to be small parcels. So, you know, we're going to try to play the reserve card and, you know, try to play in between, you know, being too aggressive and, you know, not aggressive enough. But, you know, we're going to pretty much go you know come at come at them swinging you know hit them with the locators first thing in the morning try to find you know if we, if we don't know where they're roosted you know try to hit them try to hit them and get them on the get them on the limb talking i'm sorry my kids are going awol uh try to try to get them located and try just try our best well, perfect well, <laughs> opening day you never really know what's gonna what's gonna work or not but we know we're going for it you're right about that well awesome well lane thanks again for coming on for this week's strut report and best of luck to you for this opening weekend hey i appreciate it thank you all right guys and next on the line we've got ethan smith coming in from alabama ethan how you doing my man good how are you i'm doing well man one day closer we're just one day away from alabama season opening up so i think we're all excited but to kick us off my man um can you give kind of people an idea what region of the state of alabama are you coming from do people kind of get an idea of where this report's going to be uh, based out of uh, most east central alabama mostly around cleburne County. okay perfect um so to kind of kick us off what has the gobbling activity been like for you over this last week or so uh last friday i heard a bird gobble pretty good on the limb and on the ground he gobbled uh for about seven thirty, seven forty-five on the ground, and uh, I went Monday morning, didn't hear anything. I went back Monday afternoon. There's some storms rolling in. There was two long gobblers. They were gobbling every time it would thunder. They'd gobble. So it's been a, a little bit of quiet and some good activity in certain areas. Interesting, awesome. Uh, that, that that's pretty cool. I haven't had that experience yet, but that's something uh, I'm sure to to see and hear. Um, by the way, is, is the gobbling activity kind of on par with where it should be this year uh, at this time of the year, or is it maybe behind maybe where we were at this time last year? Uh, I feel like it's about right on track. Perfect. Well, hey, that's always good news. Well, to kind of hit us over to the next question, I'm, I'm really curious in your area of, of the state where you're hunting, um, you know, are you still seeing birds and getting reports from other guys? Are they still kind of in these winter flocks, or are you starting to see and hear more people talk about these birds kind of starting to bust up um, and kind of get a little more kind of lone gobblers and also these hens breaking up? Yeah, I think they're starting to bust up. Uh, about two weeks ago, I watched a flock of gobblers out in a cow pasture. They were flogging and fighting, running each other off, and this week I've seen one or two gobblers for groups of hens, and I've also seen a couple of long toms by themselves. So I think they're busting up. Excellent. And also, just kind of the area of the state that you're in, what kind of habitat type are you kind of hunting in? Like, what's it like in this part of the state? And then also, is there any specific habitat type that you're seeing uh, these gobblers kind of sticking to kind of early on in the season? Uh, public land is mostly just mature, mixed hardwoods, uh, rolling terrain. 
<clears throat> private uh, hunt. It's pretty much the same, except it does have some cow pasture on it. And uh, they're the bird I've been watching on pri- uh, public land. He's been down in a creek bottom most of the time, and the uh, the ones on private they're hanging around in the edge of the pastures, and I've seen a lot underwater oaks. I guess they're still feeding on the acorns from the fall. Oh, hey, that's a good tip for you, uh, for sure. Especially, I was getting reports during deer season um, that there was a lot of guys, especially in Alabama, that was experiencing a very late uh, water oak uh, drop, uh, which is kind of interesting. So that's kind of cool to kind of see how that's playing out for you during turkey, or, you know, kind of early on, right before turkey season comes, and they're still kind of hitting those. Um, but one thing I want to kind of get into as kind of our final question to really kind of kick this off, especially with, you know, season coming in. Uh, by the time this episode drops, which will be tomorrow, um, you know, the season will be one day away. What is your game plan for this weekend? I mean, are you going after your private land bird, your public land bird? Um, and are you going to be kind of aggressive, passive aggressive? I mean, what, what are you going to be kind of doing um, to hopefully maybe get a bird down this uh, opening day, but opening weekend? Uh, I got a pretty good pin on a bird on some public land. He's bursting awfully close to the road, so that's probably where I'm going to start. And uh, I'll probably just go in and stay quiet and let the woods wake up by themselves. And I'll, if he gobbles like he's been gobbling, I'll probably be pretty aggressive and try to get in front of him. And, uh, might have to use the rain to set up on him. And if that don't work, I'll probably bail out and go to some, some private land. See if I can do any good. All right. Perfect. Awesome. Well, Ethan, man, thanks again for coming on for this week's strut report and best of luck to you this opening weekend. Yeah. Thank you. All right, guys, and next on the line, coming from South Mississippi, we've got Travis Ham from Primo's and uh, Mossy Oak. Travis, how you doing, brother? Doing pretty good. Sorry about you. Doing well, man. I hope you're doing well. I know you knocked down one Mississippi bird so far, so uh, that's that's a good way to kick off the season, especially with all these storms that rolled through. Uh, but dude, I want to, I want to dive right on into this. I know, uh, before we started recording, you're telling me you're coming, coming in from South Mississippi, but overall, uh, I know y'all have had a lot of crazy weather, uh, you know, this opening week, but what's the gobbling activity been like for you? And also, uh, I know, you know, a lot of guys in Mississippi as well. What's the overall gobbling activity been like for you guys, uh, over this opening week? Well, for this past opening week, um, there has been, I've been told by some friends and wit and myself out hunting, they're just, they ain't been gobbling. Like they, they ain't heard no gobbling at all. I have heard no gobbling either. They just, I don't know. Cause a couple of weeks ago we had that cold snap and, uh, but when we had some, it was a snowstorm we had and we believe that kind of made the effect and kind of pushed it back where tur- it might be late season before the turkeys start doing doing their thing, you know? Yeah, that's something I was going to ask is, I mean, do you think we're kind of, are we on par with where it should be this time of the year, or are we kind of behind kind of where we should be for, you know, this kind of date of the season and everything else? Uh, we're, we're because like I, like I just told you, because how the crazy weather we're having right now, we got a cold snap. It's putting it behind for sure, so it's going to be pretty late before uh, before it really gets good. So I'm gonna say I'm um, guessing next two or three weeks, and it'll, it might hopefully kick off. Perfect. Well, kind of kick us over to another question. I'm really curious, especially with uh, you know kind of how the weather's been affecting your birds and everything else, and kind of putting them behind when it comes to gobbling activity. Are are the turkeys still, from what you've been hearing, both from reports and also in person, are they still kind of flocked up in these winter flocks? Or are you starting to see more birds kind of separating out and a lot of these uh, gobblers kind of more lone gobblers uh, than kind of these big basher groups? 
Um, I've actually seen they're still in flocks. Yes, I mean there's a there's a few that's separated. I mean it's but they're 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 still in flocks, winter flocks right now, as as what I've seen and we've been told by a few of my friends and a couple of people I've seen on social media talking about it. And kind of breaking down a little bit more about your area of the country in kind of that South Mississippi area, you know, what's the habitat type that you guys hunt in down there? And also, is there any specific habitat type that these turkeys like to stick to, especially this time of the year? We have a lot of uh, pine trees. We're, um, hard, we got some hardwood. We got hardwood. We got pine trees where I hunt. It's mainly all pines, and we got some hardwood bottoms uh, that – and they're, most of the time, they they just hang. They because we have a bunch of pine tree rows. The turkeys in the middle of the day, they uh, they'll get out there in the pine tree rows where it's shady, and they'll just walk around and eat under the pine trees, the bu- looking for bugs and stuff. So uh, that's because um, I I would I've, I'd spend a lot of countless hours. I can't tell you how many countless hours learning about about the wild turkey and trying to you know what do they do from early in the morning to dark and uh i'll tell you what man it's you learn so much if you if you have the time and patience and you it, it it's it's pretty cool and i've, I've watched heck i've watched hens just bed down where it's shady just to take a little nap around one or two o'clock and it's it's just you know it's just crazy. It's a good experience. So. Yeah, perfect. Well, it kind of gets to our last question. I know you had success uh, this first week, opening week of uh, Mississippi season. Kind of what helped you be successful uh, on that hunt, and is there any kind of takeaways from it that maybe we could pass along to these listeners? From uh, This was actually kind of a surprise. Like, I, I hooted that, that morning. I went and hooted. I'd done a little bit of a locating, doing, trying to do some locate calling. And I didn't hear the first gobble. Well, I found some droppings and some turkey tracks. I knew they'd been walking up and down in, into my into a field. I said, I'm going to just sit down and do some blind calling and see what happens. So I went and sat up against a tree and had some brush around me. And uh, I'm trying to paint you a picture. It's, uh, there's, it's, it's like a, a row of trees. And it's got brush around me. And, uh, and, the, and then I'm facing in a two-acre field and uh ryegrass at that um and i was just doing just soft clucking purrs every five ten minutes and i might do some lonesome hen yelping and then be quiet for about 20 30 minutes and uh and when i was doing some clucking purring and i looked to the right uh, i look i just barely picked on my right I saw a red head bouncing around, and he came. That 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 gobbler I killed open day came, slipped in right behind me. I didn't even know he was there. He he walked out right in front of me, about just just moving that head about twenty five yards, and I I put the I put my red dot right on his head and made him flop. So he and he ended up being a good a big bird. He's my biggest bird to date. Awesome. So it sounds like blind calling and kind of doing a blind calling setup definitely played a huge factor for that, especially with them not being super vocal, correct? Correct. Awesome, dude. Awesome. Well, that's something I think a lot of people can take away from is, you know, the implementing of blind calling and having some patience, sticking to a spot. When you know there's birds around, they might not be talking. Sticking to a spot, doing some blind calling, and staying still and keeping your eyes peeled because that can absolutely play a factor. And actually, a lot of guys that we've had on the podcast uh, for the Strut Report, 
uh, even off air. They might not have said it on air, but talked about how blind calling plays such a factor, especially early on in the season, if the birds aren't talking very much and how you can really apply that and have some success. So that's awesome, brother. That worked out for you. And hopefully we got some listeners going out there this weekend that, man, if the birds aren't talking, find some hot signs, set up, and do some blind calling. So that's perfect. And uh, Travis, man. I do, I, do, I do have one more thing I want to say real quick. Mm-hmm. The most important key, this is where a lot of turkey hunters mess up. You know, if you're going to do some blind calling, you know, don't don't overcall. That's, that's the biggest turkey hunter's mistake is overcalling. That's where they mess up. And, you know, if they're cutting to the turkey or yelping to the, like, especially cutting with a sighted hen, if that hen's cutting, cutting a whole lot, pretty much that gobbler's expecting her to go to him. So less calling the better. So when you don't hardly do any calling, it's gonna it's gonna get him really curious, and it's gonna bring and it's gonna bring up <clears throat> you'll bring him to you. So uh, that being said, uh, oh man, I'm I'm tired, man. I've been working hard all day today at work. Uh, patient, patience is the number one key of all. That's if the kill the turkey hunting. If you is that's the main one, patience. Yeah, of that's course. It. Some of the best turkey hunters I know in the southeast, man. You, I mean, they talk about patience, and especially if you're hunting pressured birds. I mean, or birds that just don't, they just don't want to talk. They're just they're just not whether they're tight lipped or there's for some reason they're just not gobbling. You got to have patience, and you got to know what you're doing. And, and you're spot on talking about the blind calling and uh, everything else when it comes to not overcalling that situation, but definitely lay out the scenario like you just you know you're a, you're a hen or two just doing a little bit of feeding, and uh, that gobbler needs to come in there and see what's going on why you're not reacting to him. Uh, so that's spot on. And by the way, Travis, I want you to plug a little bit. So you work for Primo's. Uh, you help develop a lot of their mouth calls. Um, get, I'll let you just uh, plug your stuff, what you just uh, came out with this year, y'all's new line uh, for some of those calls. And I'll let you could just kind of touch on that real quick, and then we'll wrap it up. I am a mouth call designer for Primo's hunting calls. I also do a little quality control, and I build turkey calls for the line. I have, came, I have myself designed – five of the new hen house series and um the one you know you you saw people talking about on facebook with the care and all <laughs> with the description <laughs> people went crazy about that. yeah i mean a lot of people don't know but yeah i'm the one that uh i designed i designed the uh the hen house series i designed them to the perfection as turkey as turkey can get because i mean it, it, it can go from uh from beginner's level to advanced I, I put in so many countless hours to perfect that sound, be as turkey as turkey can be. Because, you know, I'm a competition caller. Um, I, I call four premium hunting calls on the Grand National stage. When I, when I uh, go up there, I try to be as realistic as possible. Well, me being a competition caller also helped me become a better call builder. So I was able to design these calls to be, when you put, when you, as soon as you put it in your mouth, it's easy to blow and it's pure turkey. So, I'd, if I had to highly recommend any calls for Primos, they're all good. But the Hen House series, and some good calls. I mean, they're they're really good and they're pure turkey. And um, and, and you know what? It's crazy. It's an A-frame series. It's plastic. It's a plastic call. Like you can bend it and and bend it in all kinds of ways, and you just can't tear it up. It's a good call. 
Awesome. Well, Travis, I, I know you're heading to uh, Florida uh, in the next day or so uh, for your first Osceola. Best of luck to you down there. Hopefully we, you can have some success and maybe uh, have you on, on a, another short report, man, kind of going over what worked for you down there. But best of luck to you for the rest of the season. I'm sure you're going to be traveling a little bit. And, uh, again, keep us posted how uh, Florida treats you. Uh, yes, sir. I'll, I'm looking forward to it, and I'm excited, and, I'll, and I surely will. All right, guys, and uh, last but not least uh, on the line, we've got Mr. Joel coming in uh, from Northeast Georgia. Joel, how are you doing, my man? Pretty good, man. How are you doing tonight? Doing well, dude. I hope you're fired up. Listen, every guy I've had on, listen, you got to be fired up because everybody that we had on, uh, for the most part, is coming from the great state of Alabama and Georgia, and our season is about to be rocking and rolling in about uh, – but well, the time the episode drops, it'll be 24 hours from hopefully some birds hitting the ground. So, uh, dude, I'm fired up, yeah, absolutely I'm fired up, and I'm sure you are too. But to kind of kick us off, I'm really curious, um, you know, with you being in northeast Georgia, what has the gobbling activity been like for you guys, especially over this last week? So in the last three to four days, it's been very, very sparing. I'm hearing a, just a couple of gobbles on the roost in the morning before they fly down and then nothing afterwards at all. Interesting. Now, is that? Let me ask: Is that kind of on par with where it should be for this for this time of the year, or is that maybe a little bit behind where you've experienced it? Uh, you know, this kind of the, you know the date it being like the eighteenth, like these the kind of teen uh, dates of the month uh, for you know 20, uh, 20, 2019, 2018? No, I kind of keep a little bit of a log uh, with that kind of stuff. I've hunted the same three properties, two public and one private, for the last twelve years, and. This is, they've never been this, this, uh, this bad before. They've always been hammering by this time. So I, I don't know if it has to do with weather. Uh, I have no idea. We've had a ton of rain lately. Uh, I'm not really sure, but it, they're, they're way behind where they should be. Now I'm going to throw you a curveball question, which I didn't have written down, but I was going to ask this to another guy that I had interviewed earlier, but I, I decided not to, but I'm going to ask you, um, you know, I, we have uh, a couple of really good friends of ours that are just extremely good turkey hunters. Like, kill publicly turkeys, tag out every single year, save Alabama, a couple other states. And I've mm-hmm. heard from multiple people, these guys I highly respect, that there were so many birds that got killed last year because of coronavirus. So many people were off work that even now they are struggling to find the number of turkeys that they've been, you know, finding over the last few years because so many of them got killed. By any chance, in the area that you hunt, I mean, was the hunting pressure kind of high last year compared to years past? And do you think, you know, quite a few birds got killed out there? Um, or do you just not think that was a factor for the areas that you hunt? So I think I'm the only person uh, that didn't have that problem, apparently, because I've had a lot of buddies around the southeast as well, because I hunt in a few different states as well. They've all told me the same thing too many people in the woods, you know, public lands overrun, birds getting killed like crazy. And in my area, I mean, one of the public places I hunted last year, never saw another hunter the whole season. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad, you know, but it's, uh, they're, they're smaller areas. They're real, real mountainy, real rugged. So maybe that's why it's deterring people. But yeah, I've, I've got the opposite where I'm at. Interesting. Well, that's a curveball back for me, man. I was not prepared for that answer. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, <laughs> we'll kind of dive off into this a little bit more. Uh, I know texting you back and forth, you had a real interesting answer for this question, which is something I want to ask you, which is, uh, you know, right now, are these birds still kind of in these winter flux or are you starting to see them bust up in the area? Yeah, they're uh, 100% in winter flocks where I'm at. Um, even as of this morning um, and even yesterday in the rain, I went out and watched a little bit in the fields because I knew, you know, they're going to be in the fields trying to dry off 
because they're so heavy from all the wet, uh, all the water on them. But this morning, uh, three different properties, uh, three different big winter flocks. Um, out of all three of those flocks, um, all three had gobblers in them, and they weren't outlying. Where normally this time of year, you'll I'll still see hens grouped up, but they're starting to split up. All these hens were real tight together. The gobblers were almost right up with them and only saw one strutter um, between all three flocks. And it's just, they're just behind. They're real, real behind. Um, I've never seen it like this here. I, I throw you another curveball question because, again, I'm just curious, especially with your kind of uh, reaction to kind of what you're finding how does that affect – and I'm kind of skipping around questions here, but how does that affect, like, your game plan going into the season when they're when they're kind of doing what you're seeing now, which is, you know, they're extremely still flocked up. There doesn't seem like they're even – like, testosterone levels are really rising much in the gobblers because it doesn't seem like they're really, you know, putting on much of a show for hens. How does that change your approach come this weekend and come, like, this opening week? Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change it completely <laughs> from the past, you know, decade. Um Obviously, I'll be out there very, very early. I have a spot that I like to listen from when I don't have a bird roosted. Uh, Friday afternoon, I'll try to go roost some birds, but I don't really have high hopes just because of how they're all grouped up. Um, I got a nice, real high uh, spot. It's a big, huge ridge. It's a, it's kind of a, um, a finger that runs off uh, some hardwoods. It drops down to a creek bottom. That creek bottom kind of flares out into a field. Um, it's been a dynamite for me in the past. I've killed some really big birds out there. Um, actually killed uh, the biggest buck of my life this year out there too. So that kind of helps. Um, but now I'll be there listening. Um, hope I hear something, hope I can get around one, uh, maybe try to call one in, but I honestly don't have real high hopes of calling one in if, uh, they're still going to be like they are, uh, today. Interesting. Now, I, uh, since you're, you're kind of unsure whether or not you're going to have any really respond to you and, and come into any kind of calls. I mean, are you almost, depending on the reaction from what you're, what you're getting from the birds, are you almost just probably going to approach it? If you can't get a bird to get fired up or to kind of come investigate you, are you pretty much just going to use it as a little bit more scouting time to kind of wait for them to break up? Or are you just going to still kind of boots on the ground and just try to find that one bird that may leave that flock to come check you out? I'm going to look at this weekend as just a kind of a scouting mission. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of season. Um, I don't try to get too hung up on whether I kill one opening weekend or not. Some years I do, some years I don't. I'm just going into it with the mindset of I'm most likely not going to this year unless something changes overnight. So more of a scouting mission and just kind of see uh, what's laid out in front of me for the rest of the season on this one particular property. Now, Joel, one question I want to get to, which you've touched on a little bit, but I want to dive in a little bit more, is uh, habitat. What kind of habitat is it like in the areas that you hunt, uh, just kind of that region? And also, is there any specific habitat types that these turkeys really like sticking to early on in the season? Yeah, where I'm at is about 90% hardwoods. Um, Some of it is slightly rolling here and there. Most of it's uh, pretty steep. But the creek bottoms, uh, this early in the season, uh, I don't know if it's because the hens are trying to get, you know, e- eating the all the crustaceans, um, all the grubs, things like that, to try to build fat um, is some things that I've read previously, which is why they stick to those areas. But the creek bottoms real, real heavy uh, early in the season. Um, generally, they'll roost, of course, up in the, the tops of the uh, hardwoods on the points. They'll pitch down to the creek bottoms or pitch down in the fields. When they do pitch down the fields, every time early in the season, I see those hens go straight back down into the bottoms, and they stay in those creek bottoms for most of the day. Interesting. 
All right. Now, let me ask, um, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about your game plan for opening weekend and kind of opening week. Also, how do you think the weather is going to affect kind of opening day? I, I mean, what is the weather supposed to be like for the opening week? I mean, is it supposed to be pretty cool temperatures? I know Alabama, especially uh, Saturday night going into Sunday, is supposed to be pretty chilly here, uh, especially compared to what it's been in the last two weeks. I know a lot of guys, especially in Alabama, that's been scouting, said last weekend, which was very, very warm, birds were burning it up on the roost. I mean, just burning down the house. And this over this last week, especially since the storms come through, and even before the storm, temperature and everything just kind of start changing. Uh, they completely just shut down, like completely shut down. Yeah, well, as as, <laughs> as shut down as they were previous to this storm, I don't see how any more shut down they could get where I'm at. But <laughs> it's uh, it's supposed to be 34 degrees, I think, uh, opening morning. It's going to warm up a pretty decent amount. It's going to be sunshine, uh, no rain, anything like that. But it's going to it's going to be a little chilly. So I don't uh, I don't have real high hopes for uh, hearing much Saturday morning. But um, I haven't missed an opening morning in 32 seasons, so I'm not about to now. Well, Joel, I got to ask. This is my because you're my last guest, uh, so I'm going to ask you one final question. What is your tips, uh, especially you know as much experience as you have tur- hunting turkeys? What is your tips for you know any listeners in the Georgia area or Alabama, which are both opening this weekend, for going out there and maybe trying to have some success this weekend? You know, what are some things you tell them, some do's and don'ts for opening day and opening week? <clears throat> well, slow down. Um, don't call as much. <laughs> Those are my two biggest ones. Uh, most guys that I've mentored over the years or just people I've chatted with over the years, uh, I honestly think more people would kill turkeys if they literally just slowed down. Um, what's the, I think I heard uh, Dave Owen say one time, 90% of uh, turkeys are killed by 10% of turkey hunters. Um, I think that number would go way up if people slowed everything down. Uh, that's my, that's my, that's the biggest takeaway. I did that probably 20 years ago. I had an uncle beat that into me. And, uh, once I did that, it was the, the amount of birds that I encountered, uh, per season skyrocketed and the amount of birds that I took home skyrocketed. All right. Since, okay, you're, you're my last guest, be very respectful of your time, but I've got to ask this question. You're talking about how slowing down has played a huge factor for you. If more people slowed down and had maybe a little bit more patience, it, it would put more birds on the ground for them and maybe be a little bit more successful. Can you explain that maybe in a little bit more detail? Like, what do you mean by kind of slowing down? You're talking about, like, not being so aggressive calling. But, again, how would you explain to somebody that maybe whether they're a new turkey hunter or maybe they just they don't have the experience that you have you know, how would you explain kind of slowing down and approach it from a different way than just being super aggressive, calling a whole bunch and just, I mean, burning, you know, boot leather uh, by just trying to right. you know, strike a bird? Yeah, well, you know, it encompasses all that. One, you know, burning the boot leather, trying to strike a bird. Yeah, burn the boot leather, cover some ground, try to strike a bird and find a bird. But, you know, I, I was real, real bad about this the first decade or so that I turkey hunted that I would just move through the woods too quick. And I would bust birds. You know, you come around a, a, you're in the hardwoods and you're coming around a point. And all of a sudden you come around that point. Well, there was a gobbler on the other side of that point. Well, I can't hear drumming because of my, the frequency of the drumming in my ears. I've never heard it in my life. So maybe the bird was drumming. Maybe it wasn't. But I didn't know he was there. Well, because I didn't, I didn't sit down long enough and just take my time. Or I was busting through the woods too quick to try to get to, you know, a certain point I wanted to listen from when there was a half a mile of woods between me and that point that I could have just sat down, listened, watched, and just taken my time. But 
I, you know, people get it in their head. I got to get to this one spot. That's always been a good spot, or that'll be a good spot to listen from, or there should be birds in this field, and they'll just run through a bunch of hardwoods to go check the field out. Well, you might have just busted all the birds out of the hardwoods, you know, and it just, just slowing way down just gets you more opportunity, in my opinion. Interesting. And one other thing, because I'm very curious, especially with where you hunt in uh, Georgia and kind of had the experience kind of hunting that big big uh, terrain features, uh, kind of the mountains. Is there any specific terrain features that you see gobblers really liking when it comes to hunting in the mountains or just like more like kind of hill country? You know, any kind of sp- uh, specific features that you see them sticking to, especially maybe if it's like a lect where they're, they're getting on a spot they're strutting, they're gobbling from, or possible potential roost sites. Is there anything that you've seen over the last 10, 15, 20 years or so from your experience that really is like, hey, most likely there's probably going to be a bird here based off certain terrain features? Yeah, um, higher elevation benches. So in the hardwoods, um, I, I'm, I can't tell you how many times I've watched a bird from a roost pitch and say a bunch of hens will pitch out into a field and the gobbler will pitch onto a bench in the hardwoods and he'll strut down that bench and strut out the hardwoods into the field. Um, hardwood benches are, are a, a killer, big time killer. I've, um, I've killed quite a few birds off of a, coming right off the roost um, on a bench. And listen, you got my full attention now. Listen, we turn this into a little mini episode with old Joel here. Dude, um, <laughs> I, I've got to add, I mean, clearly you got plenty of experience from what you're talking about and being successful. I mean, what are some of these other things? Maybe what are some other life lessons that you've learned while turkey hunting that, again, maybe we can share with some of these listeners on the strut report? <clears throat> oh, man, life lessons. Um get get out of the blind (laughs) um that's one of my my biggest things is uh get out of the blind and experience it you know um it i I feel like we could talk for two hours on this subject because i'm a deer hunter and everything else but i deer hunt because it's not turkey season if you know what i mean um so uh turkeys are my thing man and i dive into them uh, I, year round, I call year round. Uh, I mean, everything it's, it's pretty much about 80% of my world. My, my wife laughs at me in mid midsummer. I'm practicing with a diaphragm call, you know? <laughs> um, so that's, uh, that's, a. Uh, I know I'm not answering your question, but your question is a pretty, pretty broad one for me. It's, uh, we could go many different directions, many different directions with that. Okay. Let me just say this then, and, and we'll wrap up with this unless you say something that just uh, completely, you know, dumbfounds me. I'm like, okay, we got to keep going though. Just being respectful of your time. What yeah. is some of the biggest mistakes that you've seen? Cause you talked about, you've mentored different guys. What are some of the biggest mistakes you see from maybe a newer turkey hunter, maybe a guy that's got, you know, five, six seasons under his belt. You know, he's killed a few birds, but he's still kind of struggling. What are some of the biggest mistakes you see those guys make? You've already talked about, you know, them kind of running through the woods and being real aggressive. But what are some other mistakes you see those guys make that maybe we can kind of talk about just briefly so maybe they can say, hey, that's me, and I need to, like, change up because Joel's talking about, you know, I can have more success doing something different. Right. Um, One big thing is uh, so guys that have a little bit of uh, experience under the belt, so they're going out and they roost a bird, okay? They know the bird they're going to hunt the next morning. They're getting too close to that bird the next morning. Um, A lot of guys will try to walk, I mean, almost underneath a bird those birds know that there's something walking around there. They might not know it's a human, you know, a lot, a lot of things bump birds all the time. Coyotes do it. Foxes do it. Bobcats do it. No big deal. But those birds act funny. I mean, they'll act funny for hours after that. 
um, getting way too close to a roosted bird. Uh, that's a huge, huge thing. I see experienced guys do, um, that, and you know, like most people say overcalling, I mean, overcalling will push them away just as fast as anything else will. Uh, yeah. All right. Curiosity was picked on this. Okay. So you said, you know, getting too close to the roost has been a big, you know, you see a lot of guys make that mistake and I'm guilty of it too. I'm a hundred percent guilty. The second you said that, I was like, yep, done it many a times and screwed up on every single of those birds <laughs> because you're right. You get in there. There's truly no way to stealthily get in. Cause that bird is constantly listening. Even if it's up there, it's pitch black. It's listening for everything, everything that's going on. And, you know, even especially early on in the season, you know, what might feel like, oh, I'm far enough away early season. If there's no leaves on the tree, he can hear for hundreds of yards. So I've got to ask, you know, what is kind of like the buffer zone? I mean, how do you approach that? If you roost a bird, how do you approach it versus maybe what you've seen other guys do? And how has that maybe played maybe a little bit more success for you? Right. Well, you know, a couple things there, obviously, time of season and um, whether there's leaves on the trees. Early season, obviously, where I'm at, there's no leaves on the trees. It might as well be that it looks like the dead of winter out there. So I'll use the terrain. Um, if I know, like last season, for instance, I think it was the second weekend, I, I roosted a pretty good bird. Um, he was in a spot that was just not accessible at all. There's no way I could get anywhere near him. Uh, the moon was bright. Uh, there was an open field near him, but he could see it from where he was roosted. Um, I had, I had no, no chance to get anywhere near him without bumping him off the roost. Um, I ended up going kind of behind him and using a big ridge that put me almost out of earshot to him. Um, but it's the closest I could get to at least listen and listen and see where he'd pitch down to. Well, that bird ended up pitching into that field. Like I figured he would, if I'd have walked to that field early that morning, I'd have probably bumped him off the roost. I never seen that bird. Um, but because I used that, uh, that hardwood Ridge, uh, I watched him pitch down in that field. And after he pitched down, I was able to get down to a little bottom area. And, uh, about three hours later, I actually ended up calling that bird up and killing him. Excellent, dude. So that, that's perfect. Yeah. Again, just taking a different approach. I mean, I think that's huge. And like you said, it, it depends on early, you know, early season, no leaves on the trees versus, you know, especially late season, uh, just because of how much it's amazing how much leaf, uh, this, you know, leafed out trees, how much they not only, um, how's the best way to put it? Sound doesn't travel nearly as far. Of course, you, the visual aspect's not there anymore. But it's amazing how early season, you'll hear a bird gobbling, you know, he's four or 500 yards, and you're pretty spot on. And then late season, you hear a bird gobble like, oh, he's probably three, 400 yards, and you walk 150 yards and you bump him. And you're like, crap. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah, I've done it. We've all done it. You know, and, and, you know, I'll say this one last thing, too, about, you know, getting too close to him on the roost. I think a lot of people, when they roost a bird, they think, okay, the only chance I have is first thing in the morning when he flies down from roost and then I'm done. Um, you don't. You've got all day. Um, you know what that bird's going to do. He's going to be a turkey all day. He's going to walk around. He's going to feed, and he's going to do it real slow. Sit back 300, 400 yards with binoculars if you have to and watch him fly down and then, then get a game plan. You know, don't think you're trapped into just, okay, I got to call that bird off the roost right to me and kill him right at daylight. Because um, that, I mean, 1%, 2% of turkeys I've killed has probably gone that direction. Oh, man, you're, you're preaching to me right now. I'm so guilty of that in the past. <laughs> so guilty. And it's a, it's amazing, yeah. especially when someone has, especially, like you said, a little bit of experience, you know, that four, five, six, eight years under their belt. They've killed a few birds. 
And they do that. Like, they, they roost the bird. Oh, man, I got to kill them right off the roost. Or if not, who knows? And a lot of times, like you said, like that patience. And also, a lot of times, if you – from what I've talked to with other guys, now I'm not coming in from any kind of master experience, but from other guys we've talked to who have a lot more experience that talk about the same kind of situation, if you let that bird know from, you know, kind of – whether you talk to him, you know, a little tree ups while he's on the tree or when he gets down, if he hears something but he walks away from you, he's probably going to come back through and investigate in this a little while. Whether it's 45 minutes, an hour, two hours, he's going to come back through. And when we had Dr. Chamberlain on uh, for one of our first episodes of turkey season, he talks about that in one of their GPS studies on some public land in South Carolina where hunters would go in and, and go after a, uh, a GPS track turkey, a gobbler. They'd call, they'd sit there at 8 o'clock in the morning, that bird would fly down go the opposite direction. They'd leave by 9 o'clock in the morning, and that bird would be it back in that spot within 25 yards of that hunter around 10, 30, or 11. And, you know, not many people want to, you know, quote unquote deer hunt turkeys, but if you have patience, especially early season, I'm sure when they might be tight lipped or they just might not be as fired up as you might find them later in the season, uh, I can see that being so successful. And I'm guilty of it. I'm not coming at it because I've been successful with it. I'm coming at it because I have failed not doing that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, and everybody has, you know, at some point, I was real bad about it when I was younger, real, real bad. Um, but I've gotten. I'm a little more patient these days, I hope. Um, but and I have killed birds that way. I, I, I tree yelped to a gobbler a few years ago. Uh, he wanted nothing to do with me. He pitched down in the field because I watched 15 hens pitch down in that field. Well, I just sat where I was. I could see him with binoculars through the hardwoods into the field. I could see him playing his day, and he strutted around those hens for you know a good solid couple hours. And then it took him about another hour, and he sped up through the hardwoods. And I ne- I didn't make a call that whole time. All I did was tree yelp to him that morning, nothing else ever. And uh, he worked his way all the way around right to me, you know, and I could see, I watched him the whole day. It was, it's really neat watching, you know, cause man, you make a call. They know exactly where you called from, whether they want to come there or not, you know, and hours later, there he is right there, you know, 20 yards from the tree. Excellent, Joel. Man, that's a great way to wrap up this strut report. And uh, anyone that wants any kind of more information about that, we uh, had um, Scott Ellis on last week as our kind of our last guest that we ran a little bit long with him, kind of doing something similar we just did with you. Um, and he talks a lot about that, the patience factor and blind calling and, and how that can play a lot of success for somebody if they're willing to learn that and have the patience um, and, and not just be out there calling super aggressively and just you know burning boot leather, which burning boot leather is awesome to find a hot bird. But especially, you know, situations from like what Scott talked about and what you talked about, the birds aren't super vocal and they're still flocked up. Sometimes, like you said, be subtle, have patience, and that bird's going to be walking through there. Especially if he heard you early on in that morning, he's going to come back and investigate at some point throughout the day. Um, so that's that's perfect. Well, Joel, man, appreciate you spending some time with me this evening and kind of going over all this. I, I really appreciate your patience, man, with me answering my questions. And best of luck to you this weekend and this uh, opening week of uh, Georgia's season. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Best of luck to you, too. All right, everybody. That wraps up this week's episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Strut Report. Hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with a buddy. Stay safe and have fun this weekend. Uh, also, if you have some success, you know, putting a gobbler down the ground, uh, and, of course, if you use tips and tactics from the podcast from different guests, shoot us a message on Facebook or Instagram or shoot us an email on our contact page uh, and let us know. We'd love to get you on as a listener success story uh, come this spring uh, for our turkey season. Uh, also, if you're interested in uh, joining our monthly newsletter, which we're going to start uh, in just a few weeks from now, uh, you can go to our contact page on our website, which is the Southern Outdoors Men, M-E-N.com. 
uh, and you can actually put your information in there to be able to receive that newsletter as well. But appreciate everybody's support. I mean, best of luck to everybody this weekend, and we will see you back for Monday's episode of the Southern Outdoorsman. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman. And thank you to Blackberry Smoke for the music for the podcast. Also, to follow along with us, make sure you check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Until next time, y'all stay Southern. Look, last summer, y'all heard us talk a bunch about the Mobile Hunters Expo. It was an incredible event. A bunch of you guys came out to meet us. We got to talk to, I don't even know how many listeners. If you heard all that last year and you were like, dang, that sounded cool. I should have went to that. Here's your chance. You need to make it to this one. It's June 28th through June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. All right. Giving you a heads up here. So go ahead and mark it on your calendar. June 28th through June 30th, Dalton, Georgia is going to be the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. We're going to be there. A bunch of our past podcast guests are going to be there. There's going to be seminars. All of the mobile hunting companies are going to be there for you to try out gear before you buy it. It's like the one event of the year where all of the the, like the mobile hunter ecosystem just kind of congregates in one place. And Chris and Josh and the guys have done an absolutely phenomenal job putting this thing together over the last couple years. And it keeps getting better every year. So like I said, make sure you come see us. We're going to have a gigantic stack of free stickers to give away to every listener that stops by the booth. And we're going to have merch there to purchase. We're going to be recording podcasts, shooting videos, all kinds of stuff. So like I said, don't miss it. You can head on over to the mobilehuntersexpo.com to look at show schedules and dates and go ahead and grab your tickets. So y'all go check it out at the mobilehuntersexpo.com.